Welcome to Love Your Family again and again and again and again, the podcast where we focus on parenting with love and clarity. I'm Dr. Marcy, a family culture expert who for over 20 years has been helping parents to create happy and strong families. I have a very special guest today. So Joanna, welcome. I am happy to have you here. Tell us about your family. Thank you so much, Dr. Marcy. I am so excited to be here as well and reconnecting with you. Um, My family now consists of myself, uh, my husband, Fan, and our three little wild children. Uh, The oldest, G, is seven. Our middle child, E, my only daughter, is five. And my youngest, B, just is about 21 months. So I have boy, girl, boy, which adds to the fun dynamic. Mmm, I love that you call them wild children with all of the joy that encompasses that. I try to fully embrace all of the chaos that comes with three kids. It's a it's kind of a given, so I might as well lean in. I love that perspective, right? It's it's a different life. You know, it's a different life from no kids to kids, from one kid to two, from two to three. It keeps changing as they grow, and there's going to be chaos with it. So lean on in. Yes. My favorite first question is, what is your go-to glitter? What's the thing that you do as a family that you're almost 100% sure, because we can never be 100% sure, that everyone's going to enjoy, that it's going to be a good time together? I would have to say that in the summer, our kind of family favorite is swimming. Um, And that being said, my husband doesn't really like to go outside if he can avoid it. We always joke that he's an indoor cat. But going to the pool that we belong to, um, I feel like water play is something that everybody can enjoy, whether you're actually in the water or not. And so, you know, if you need to uh, kind of have a fresh start, if you need a reset during the day, stopping what we're doing and going swimming makes everybody instantly happy. And it's a way of keeping everybody happy for as long as possible. I love it. I love the fact that you know that when your family needs a reset, the answer is to go swimming. And in winter, I often throw my youngest in the tub or put them all in my shower together and like put bubbles in something or bring ice into the bath or the shower. You know, any kind of water play really is ideal. But in the summer, swimming is the best. (laughs) Yes. So do they like snow? And like bundling up and playing in the snow the same way they like swimming? Or is that a different, because it's a different form of water, does it not have the same impact? I would say the older two love the snow. But my youngest, he couldn't walk in his snow gear this year. He would just fall over. So we have have yet to see. We'll see how it goes this year. All right. I like it. You'll have to let me know. And I will say that as an adult, I know that taking a bath at the end of a long day putting in some Epsom salt is like my happy place. So I can imagine the joy that all of this water brings for your kids and wonder if that will translate, right? If I can be near the ocean, I'll go, like vacations are usually near water. So I feel like I get that that flavor and love that you have a way to do it in summer and winter. Cause I know that you live in a place that swimming outside in a pool is not gonna be super conducive in winter months. That is very true. And we have so much snow that uh, enjoying snow play is going to be pretty crucial to survive the next 10 to 12 years. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
So we just have to make sure that your little one keeps growing so that he can walk in the snow. Absolutely. Awesome. So as much as I would love to continue to talk with you about snow and water and bath and swimming, I don't think that's really what you came here to chat with me about. As fun as that is, you are right. Yes. Because I want to make sure that every family, every parent thinks about, pays attention to the good in their families. And also we're here to kind of problem solve and think through and and recalibrate the challenging moments. So what has been some of the challenging moments that have been on your mind, on your heart lately? So something that I think is kind of an endless quest for improvement is the sibling dynamic and really trying to help foster a connection between all of my children together and then kind of each of them with each other one separately as well. And something that I have not mentioned yet is that my husband and I are both only children. So we both have no siblings, which means we both have no experience with how this actually works on a day-to-day basis. I grew up with a very, very large extended family. And I, uh, like my cousins that I was closest to, there were four of them. And so I always kind of was like in the mix, but I've never lived, you know, kind of really day in and day out with siblings. And so some of the stuff that I think a lot of people consider normal with their brothers and sisters sometimes shocks me. And I have to try to remind myself, this is how, you know, kids act together. This is how siblings are. Um, But I feel like there's always room for improvement. And I'm always trying to figure out how to really encourage kindness and compassion. and, And I want them to feel like a team and like they can count on each other. And that way, when they're out in the world, you know, that they always know they have each other to rely on, that they, you know, kind of are each other's first best friends. Yes. However, that doesn't always come across in our day-to-day life. (laughs) So I'm working on finding better ways of encouraging that without also forcing it and kind of harping on them, you know, why aren't you nicer to each other? Why don't you like each other more? Yes. And at the same time, I also don't want to pathologize everything they do and think something must be wrong with them because like, why don't they like each other enough? Why aren't they nicer to each other? You know, there's that line between what's just kind of normal and developmentally appropriate for their age, and then how do I also encourage them to be nicer to each other and to make sure they still love each other? Yes. So the first thing that I think of in hearing all of that, well, first, let me highlight, I love this question. I think the idea that you want, you know, how do we all get along as a family, but also I heard you say, how do I make sure they have good relationships with each other? And that's a very different thing than how do we all get along? And I love that you're thinking about, you know, when they're out in the world, when they're grownups, are they going to have a relationship that supports each other? That's huge. Having someone that you can call to, you know, quote unquote, bury the body if you need someone, having a sibling that will do that for you with you is huge. May your children never need to bury any bodies. Let's be clear. Yes, indeed. But the first thing I think about is that being teammates does not mean we always get along, does not mean we always are on the same page, wanting the same thing. And so how do we have constructive conflict? How do we have de-escalation tools for your kids? How do we think about the fact that they're not always going to, especially with the age range you have and the the differences of where they are developmentally they're not always going to want to do what the other kids are doing. So how do they voice that with compassion, with their own autonomy, and with 
you know, I can like you in this moment or not, but I will always love you as the underlying message. But it's okay to disagree. Right. But see, and the thing that I struggle with is that I obviously, again, want to encourage this kind of overall feeling of kindness and love and empathy within my home. But I also do try and remind myself, and I'd love to hear what you think about this, that, you know, you don't get to pick your siblings and not everybody does get along with their siblings for their whole life. You know, many people say like they weren't really close as kids, but then they're close as adults and, you know, they can have really different personalities that maybe they're just not going to be best friends. And so part of it is I feel like walking this line between, again, like not pushing too hard and kind of being like, you have to be friends, you have to love each other right now. And acknowledging like you're different people, you want different things, you like different things. The real kind of struggle for me is my older two are 22 months apart and they butt heads a lot because they are very different people, but they both are kind of obsessed with the youngest and they almost like compete for his love and his attention. And so, you know, I want, again, it's like, I don't, I don't know. They have a lot of, uh, friction between them like even though they're not doing the same things kind of in general in life like they're very competitive but then my daughter my middle she really just like wants her older brother to love her and want to play with her and he like wants his space and wants to get away from her and you know I don't want to just say why can't you just be nice to her you know why can't you just play with her but I I want them to still be able to you know I don't know it's it's very back and forth and during COVID and lockdown, I feel like they did kind of get closer. But then sometimes he says, like, I wish I was an only child. Like, why did we have to have more kids? I don't want to have a sister and a brother. I don't like being the oldest. It's too hard. And, you know, I really struggle again with how to, like, really encourage empathy and kindness then, but then also not force him. And, you know, I don't want to make it like his job to be a certain kind of older brother. I want him to also be able to like, live his own life. Yes. So bunch of things are are in there mixed up. And the starting place, because the idea that they're not always going to get along, they're not always going to want to do the same thing is really true. And so I think it starts with communication, right? So how do you get your kids to communicate well with each other? Not, I want to play with you. Leave me alone. I hate you. Like, that's not great communication. But if your daughter says, I want to play with you, and your older son says, I love you, and I need alone time right now, that feels really different being heard. So before we ask any of them to change what they're doing, can we teach them how to communicate how they're feeling and their needs in a more productive, compassionate way? So it's not about being kind or not being kind. It's stating your needs, because that will teach them to have boundaries. That will also teach them to sometimes be willing to say like, I need alone time right now, but maybe tonight we can play. So that there is the, it's not this like, I always just want to push you away because you're always asking for my time and I never want to be around you. But the like, not now and when, that is a tool that I use with a lot of parents, but I think would work with your kids as well. No, I, I don't want to play Uno with you right now. We can do that tonight after dinner. It's so interesting hearing you say that because when you said the kind of, you know, not now, when, I immediately think, oh, of course, because I do that with my kid. You know, I tell them, I can't do this right now. We're going to do it at four o'clock or like, I need a half an hour to finish this. And then when I'm done, we're going to do X, Y, Z. 
And it's so funny that it, even though I use that on probably a daily basis, it didn't even occur to me to just give that to my kids as a strategy too, you know? And I feel like this is a little bit of an aside, but you know, we always, we often talk about in parenting worlds about, you know, like modeling the techniques we want our kids to use, but being explicit and saying, here's something that you can say, like modeling only takes you so far. So I've been saying that for a long time and surprise, surprise, my seven and five-year-old didn't just naturally pick up on that phrasing, but it didn't even occur to me to tell them here, say this, you know, I tell them other words they can use, but it's just so funny that I use that literally every day and I should just tell them they can use those words too. Yep. So I'm over here doing a massive happy dance for that clarity and also what you just highlighted. (laughs) Modeling is so important. I don't think you can be in a parenting training anywhere where that's not mentioned as a technique. We need to do what we want our kids to do. However, if we don't also highlight that this thing I'm doing is important, they may not pick it up. So we also have to teach our kids the things we want them to do. And that to me goes towards also just executive functioning in general, which so many kids struggle with because there are so many things to executive function these days, right? I don't think that there's some mass delay in kids that executive functioning is hard. I think there are just so many executive functioning tasks now that were different before. The way to help them do that is for us as the parent who is modeling how to do good executive functioning to teach them or to speak out loud what we're doing to keep ourselves organized and on task because they don't know what's happening in our head. So they may hear you use that language, but they don't know how to use it themselves because kids are so present, right? In the moment, your son is like, leave me alone. I just want to play my video game or leave me alone. I just want, I just want to be in my room without you. He's not thinking, you know, three hours from now, I'll be happy to hang out with you. It's so true. He's not, they don't go there. Yes. And it's interesting that, like you just said, modeling only gets us so far. We have to be explicit. And that's also something that I really try to focus on for myself and with my kids that, you know, we can't, they can't meet expectations that they don't know about. And so I try to be very explicit with kind of my desires, requests. And so I'm, I'm trying to kind of get them to do that too, instead of being vague and just kind of screaming things like hurry up, you know, is not specific enough. Like I need you to put your shoes on and meet me at the door is specific. And so I'm trying to get them to kind of do that too. And I'm just thinking that there's probably a whole host of these types of kind of easy phrases that we probably think like, oh yeah, like they're gonna, they'll hear it and they'll do it. But instead the thing that they hear me do is go, oh, come on. And then like, that's what they say, you know, over and over, like not the kind of like nicely constructed phrasing that I really thought about and then pulled out at the right moment. They hear like the moment of frustration. And so I I also do try and be very mindful of how I express frustration and how I express, you know, my own kind of like problem solving. And, um, and I think to some extent, you know, it's always better to model what you want and hope they pick up on some of it as opposed to not modeling it, you know, like, and not doing that. But I do think there's probably so much more of this that should be just said out loud to everyone's faces instead of hoping, like, I feel like this happens in marriages too, that, you know, you hope the other person's going to like read your mind 
And obviously they're not going to. So then why are we surprised when they don't read our minds? And you know, like with kids, it's the same thing. Like, why are we surprised when they don't just know what we want from them? And so like, they've never had siblings before either. This is their first time. You know, like, this is my first time. This is everyone's first go around. And so saying it clearly out loud, I feel like is the biggest, you know, kind of overall strategy here. And I love that it took me talking to you and just saying all of this, you know, to realize that um, sometimes just talking through your problem is the solution. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's why we need a village. Not necessarily because one person's the expert and I know and I'm going to tell you how to do it. That's not how this works. But having the conversation allowed you to come to your own realization. Sometimes someone else's perspective sheds light on something new that you didn't know and we learn in the experience. But so often we have to just be reminded of the tools we already have because we forgot. So I love that you got there yourself, which is amazing. I also really want to highlight that the saying it clearly out loud in specific action-based tools, it is like the biggest strategy that I talk about all the time, no matter what type of training I'm doing, that we have to be clear, positive action-based directions is the key to so much, right? So whether I'm speaking in a corporate environment about our mental health, or de-escalation, whether I'm talking with a parent about their kids, whether I'm talking with a parent about their marital relationship, because often in my one-on-one -on -one sessions, I'll have, a, I'll have two parents on the call with conflicting views. And the answer isn't like, how do you feel about it? Which of course we can talk about, but it's what are you going to go do and say to your kids? Because you can do and say the same thing and feel differently about it. And that's where we have to get to. The final piece about this that I want to highlight is that the beginning of our conversation, you were like, I want to teach them to be kind. I want to teach them to be compassionate. I talked to them about why can't they get along? But all of those words are beautiful and lovely sentiments, but I don't know what kindness looks like if you don't tell me what it looks like for you. I don't know what compassion means when I'm five or seven or 21 months old. But if you teach me to say the words then I start to learn how to be compassionate and then can feel it. And I can feel the difference when I say to someone, no, I don't want to play Uno with you right now, but let's play after dinner. And my sibling then goes, oh yeah, okay, that, that's good. I'm like, oh, we didn't end up in a fight. This feels so much better. And that's how you're going to teach them through the action-based steps, not the overarching concepts. And I think we get so lost in the concepts sometimes. Absolutely. And I think another thing that um, like I know intellectually, but it's easy to get lost in the heat of the moment, you know, if like a lot is going on because, you know, with three kids, there's always something going on is that, you know, the way I treat my kids is also the way they're going to treat each other. And I have noticed, and I'm sure other parents feel this way too, that there is a very clear distinction when I start getting angsty and like irritable with my oldest, he then treats his sister that way. And it has this very direct like trickle down effect. So if he's making me crazy because he's teaching the 21 year old to say, but, and going around smacking his butt. And I'm like, can you stop? Can you like, why are you setting such a bad example? 
you know, and I can feel myself getting, you know, irritated and heated about it. He then gets angsty because his attachment figure is getting upset with him and he's feeling, you know, emotionally disconnected. He immediately then treats his sister poorly. And, you know, I can always see, and then it gets me more upset. Like, you know, so the meaner he is to her, the more upset I get. And then it just becomes this like crazy vicious cycle. And again, it's something that I feel like is in my brain, but in the moment when I feel like, why can't you just be nice? Why can't you just get along? You know, even if I don't say that, I'm sure like my body language is conveying that. And, you know, like it's hard to like say something gentle and calm and nice when everyone is being mean or crying or screaming. And, you know, those are like those very intense, but also very important moments. And I think that I, I maybe it's, it's just not talked enough about like how you have to keep it, not just keep it together because that's an endless struggle too, but that like there is this direct line though. And so if you, if no other reason you need to like keep your calm to make them feel that, like to get them to calm down. So if they're going to deescalate, you can't be screaming and freaking out at them. And it's really hard to do that. Yeah. So I think I, I love that idea that it's not talked about enough, that direct connection between your emotional state and your kid's emotional state, your overwhelm and your kid's overwhelm, because they will follow, you know, and if your kids are elevated and you stay calm, they will, they will not elevate quite as much and they will come back much faster. That's all really true and really important to understand, even if you can't demonstrate it. However, the tricky part to that is the reality that you're not always going to be able to stay calm. And the answer that I know I've given parents as an expert is like, you have to keep your cool without then talking about what are the tools to keep you calm? What does that mean? Your kids are going to push your buttons. You are going to get irritated. You are going to be human. And we have to normalize that moment of your humanness. So rather than saying, well, just stay calm, just keep it together, let's be honest with our kids in that moment and say, I'm really upset right now. I'm really agitated at the moment and I don't want to yell at you and I don't want to make the situation worse. So I'm going to go get myself a glass of water and take a few breaths and come back when I can talk to you the way I want to talk to you or whatever version of that you have, but demonstrating for them that there is another option. I can be really pissed at you, but I don't have to be mean to you and I don't have to yell. I can demonstrate self-care and we all have this skill, right? Because we'll yell at our kids. We'll yell at our partners. We may yell at our friends, but we won't yell at our boss. We won't yell, I mean, we do yell at random salespeople, right? But there are certain people in the world that we have learned, you don't yell at them. No matter how mad you are, you stay, you breathe, you deal with it. And when that person walks away, you then lose it. What if we taught ourselves how to cope with feeling that way without it being explosive, model that for our kids and have the honest conversation of like, I'm really upset and I don't want to put that on you, even though what you're doing is the thing that's upsetting me. Because that also helps separate the what you're doing 
versus who you are. And when we yell at our kids and are like, why can't you just, they start to identify with that like person that, that we're yelling at, as opposed to saying, what you're doing is hard for me. So I'm going to walk away and stop the cycle that I'm in, come back when I'm ready and breathe, like take that break and then come back and say, okay, this needs to change. And here's how, cause then you'll be better equipped to say the action-based thing, because that's really what we need to get to. I can be as annoyed at whatever you're doing, but if the answer is I need you to go sit on the couch and read a book or take your iPad and go to the kitchen table and let your sister sit on the couch, like whatever it is, we can get to the positive action-based direction and convey it as simply like, this is the action I need you to take right now. And I'm going to help you take it because I am your parent. The less everyone ends up getting escalated, but we need to do some self-care first. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And I think one uh, kind of piece of this too is obviously with young children, especially, you know, this like under 10 crowd that we have to really have reasonable expectations of what they can manage, you know, and like how much self-soothing they can actually do, which is not very much. You know, I also try to remind myself, and last night I was thinking about this because I was not my best self yesterday. Um, and I acknowledged that and I talked to my kids about it at the end of the day because it just, you know, was a hard day. And like, that's okay too. Like people have hard days, kids have hard days and I owned it. But I kept thinking, you know, as the adult though, when I'm getting upset, I can make the choice to like kind of stop being upset. Now, I don't mean like repress your emotions and like, you know, ignore, but I have the, the capacity as an adult to be like, I do not need to yell about this. You're like in my own head telling myself, I need to let this go. Or, you know, why? Why do I feel like I have to stop them? Why do I have to say no to this? Because I can get caught up in the like, you guys are being crazy. You know, like, you're stop, don't throw that. Or, And sometimes I'm like, I have to be the one to just let it go. Even though I can still prevent the behavior or intervene, you know, and, but it's like, I don't have to be so emotionally attached to everything, but they don't have that choice. You know, like they are all in all the time. And as an adult, sometimes, even if I'm mad, I have to be like, oh, I need to take a breath. Even if I don't say it out loud, I just have to like stop because I feel like sometimes I feel committed to whatever is happening. And this is something that I think other parents can sometimes get stuck in. Also, you feel like, well, now that I kind of like started this battle, I have to like follow through or like now I have to like win this power struggle because you feel like otherwise they won't respect me or, you know, they're not going to listen next time. And like we can get very emotionally attached to that interaction and being able to say to yourself, like, this is, this is not where I want to put my energy, you know, and it's not about like winning against your kid. Also, nobody wins when you're all crying and screaming, you know, like everybody loses then. So fighting the battle is not always what's important. And like right now, because you're not in a battle with your kids, <laughs> right? Right. Like we use all of this kind of warlike language about our kids that you're highlighting so beautifully. Like it is not that you are on opposite sides of a war with your child ever. It might feel that way. I fully support that it can feel that way, but you're not. Because as you also just highlighted, when everyone is just screaming and yelling and losing it, everyone loses. And when you are in a power struggle with your kids, they will 
last longer than you. Once you're in that power struggle, you're not going to win because everyone's going to feel bad at the end of it. So the, the adult reflection, I love that, of being like, I can choose to take a different perspective. I can have the awareness to stop myself from yelling and say, what's really important here? What actually needs to shift? Is that annoying me because I just have had a long day and I'm tired? Or are they actually doing something that is wrong and bad? Because kids have energy and they're going to run around and they're going to do weird things. And if we can realize that they're not doing anything wrong, they're being a kid and we're being human by being annoyed, but we can also shift our perspective and be like, yeah, my seven-year-old's being seven. Sometimes that's going to not be what I want my seven-year-old to do, which goes back to the beginning of the conversation of like, how do you have your siblings get along, your kids get along with each other when they're doing things that they don't want the other one to do? And it, it all comes back to this kind of modeling and demonstrating it is okay. It's okay for me to not like what you're doing and I can make a different choice with my actions. Like I can walk out of the room if I don't want to witness this. I can pick up a book and start reading it. I can start a conversation with your sister if you're playing with Legos in a way that's driving me a little crazy. I can shift my attention. But we have to stop thinking that we need to that we are battling with our kids because that's never going to end up with people feeling good. Now the final thing I want to highlight that you made me think of is that you said yesterday was not a good day and that you were not the best parent that you know that you can be and that you talked to your kids about it and you owned it because that's real and that's human. And so I just want to take a minute or two and talk about parent shame because I think so often parents don't say, do, or feel like it's okay what you just said of like, it wasn't my best moment. And so I talked to my kids about it and I'm going to work on doing better tomorrow. Like that's all we can do because you are a person who has kids. You're not some, you know, robot who happens to be a mom. That's not how it works. And when we can have grace with ourselves, when we can say, oh, this is what I wish I did. I didn't do it, but this is what I wish I did. That's the learning. We're not going to do it perfect every time. But when we can look at it and say, Next time I'm going to aspire to do this. That's the teaching. And the thing that is beautiful about that is that that is then how we teach our kids to learn and navigate mistakes. Because if we allow ourselves to be human, and there are so many reasons, especially for moms, while it feels so hard to be a mom and human, it's super important that we create that possibility for ourselves, for our own mental health, but also because that's what our kids need to learn. So what are your thoughts on that little um, platform that I just stood up on for us? So I, I mean, I love that. I think mom guilt and mom shame, and of course, I just want to be clear, this applies to all parents. I'm just using the word mom, but obviously anybody can feel this way when they're interacting with kids, teachers, grandparents, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, but I think this comes in so many forms and it applies to like almost everything you do at this point. And there's this tendency though, to convey to other parents that, you know, like I kind of said before about like kind of picking your battle and feeling like you have to commit and follow through. There's this sense of like, well, 
you have to like stand firm in your choices as a parent, which that I do agree with to some extent. Um, and like, you shouldn't apologize because then your kids won't respect you. You know, then they won't see you as an authority figure. And I think we're making a shift, especially kind of like us millennials towards, you know, this more intentional and intuitive and conscious parenting and, you know, which are all kind of buzzwords right now. Um, but this idea of really kind of owning your humanity and uh, saying to your kids, like I did yesterday, you know, today was hard. I was really cranky today, which is one of the things that I said. And, you know, I try and always be clear that, you know, I was feeling X, Y, Z because X, Y, Z, you know, and letting them know that, first of all, it's not their fault because, you know, feelings are never someone else's fault, even never. though never your instinct to be like, you're making me mad, which in reality, like no one can make you do anything, which if you're a parent with a toddler, you know, you cannot make them do anything. Um, and again, that's one of the things I'm trying to model is like saying, you know, for my older two, like your sister is not making you punch her in the stomach. You're making that choice. You may be annoyed with what she's doing, but nobody made you hit her, you know, or whatever it may be. Um, and just being able to be like, that was a bummer. I wish that I hadn't been so grumpy today. I was tired and feeling really overwhelmed. And tomorrow, like, I'm going to try and listen more and I'm going to try really hard not to yell. <laughs> That's usually what I have to say is my goal. Um, yeah. And I feel like talking about with other parents, the repair, you know, these are, again, kind of things that I feel like people are hearing right now, you know, the rupture and repair in a relationship and just owning it and really being able to say everyone makes mistakes and a mistake is not always like spilling a cup of water. A mistake can be snapping at somebody that you love and a mistake can be yelling at your kid to hurry up and get buckled in their car seat because they're taking too long. And my five-year-old will say, I'm going as fast as my little arms can go. And like, that's really her way though of being like, I'm doing my best. And as the adult being able to recognize like everyone is doing their best and like, we're all just trying our best and being able to own that as the adult, I think is so important. And parents need to feel more empowered to just be who they are and to, to make their mistakes. And it's also okay to own your mistakes. I think, you know, there's this, um, again, this feeling of in kind of traditional parenting a generation ago of having to kind of like beat the respect into people. And, you know, the reality though is- And it's fear versus respect. Right. And like our kids will respect us if they feel like we are people too. And if they can relate to us and not feel like we're some sort of statue or robot authority figure that is just watching them and kind of judging them and managing them, you know, that we're like in it together and giving them that sense of that is, is really important. Yep. I love all of that. And it really is. I think, I think the old school parenting that like, because I said so, or don't apologize because then they won't respect you is parenting from a place of, if I keep you scared of me, then you will listen to me. And that will work until they are bigger than you. Right. And, and it's not, you know, if I think about who I want to be in relationship with as an adult, who I have choices about who I connect with, I don't want to be in relationship with people who control me through fear. I want people who are in relationship with me, who make me a better person by highlighting the great things I do, and also pointing out with kindness 
things that I need to learn. Like that is, that's the path forward. And so parenting from there, where you say like, I'm going to demonstrate for you who I am, and then I'm going to teach you about it is a beautiful place to parent from. And so I have two final thoughts and then we're going to, then we're going to wrap up because I know there, you know, as with so many of these conversations, we could go on for, for days. One is this idea of owning it afterwards. I love this, making the repair super important. And when we can enroll our kids earlier on, it makes a difference. So if you know, if you know you woke up on the wrong side of the bed or you woke up and you're sick, saying to your kids in the beginning of the day, hey, I'm not feeling great. It's very possible I'm going to be more on edge and I don't have the same patience. So if you can help me by being a really good listener, I'd be super grateful, right? Or even halfway through the day when you're like, oh my gosh, I've yelled 17 times. Can we stop, make the repair then rather than waiting till the end of the day? Because sometimes we like are in it and we just, sometimes we don't realize it and that makes us human too. But if you can catch it earlier, and enroll your kids in the support you need, that can sometimes make a difference. It's funny you say that because- The other piece that I was wondering about as I was, yeah. Sorry, I just wasn't actually feeling very well yesterday. And it's funny you say that because I actually did, right away I was like, listen, like I'm really tired. You know, the baby or toddler now, I was calling the baby, uh, like he didn't sleep very well the night before for whatever reason. And I was like, I just need you to like, pick up your backpack. You know, I need you to put your shoes on. And, and I feel like I, I tried to come at it with that. And then of course, like 10 minutes later, I'm like, can you just help me like this one time? You know, like I need you to be on my team. Like I, you know, I don't, you know how much I do for you. I just need you to do this this one time. And uh, yeah, it's, I really like sank into that pretty hardcore yesterday. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So hopefully that made it a little bit easier. Sometimes it might be the nuance with which we enroll our kids. Um, but yes, I love that you you caught it on both sides, right? You set them up the best you could in the moment, and then you made the repair in a- afterwards. And if we can do both, then we're also modeling for our kids how to repair their relationships because we are in a world of cancel culture of like, if you cross me, we're done. And what you are talking about here really is the antidote to that of like, we can do both. And then my final strategy that might be for you as well is this idea of having a family meeting because I hear you going back and making repairs with your kids, which I think is amazing. And I wonder where the space is for your kids to make repairs with each other outside of the immediate moment. And if you have a family meeting, maybe it's just once a week, maybe it's every day, depending on the rhythm that works for you, But creating a time where you can say, like, is there anything that you want to apologize for or that you want to reflect on so that there is this way that they recognize that outside of the moment of conflict, they, too, can go back and make repairs? It's yeah, I mean, it's funny because I often suggest family meeting to other people as a strategy for other kinds of getting your kids, you know, buy into things and, you know, getting them to contribute to, you know making rules or whatever is going on in their lives. Um, And it's interesting. I never, I didn't really think about it as this kind of separate, less emotionally, you know, charged space to be able to talk that way. You know, I usually think about it as like, 
we have to create, you know, our family values and we want our kids to buy in. So we're going to like sit and talk about it or we can't agree on an activity. So we're going to have a family meeting and, you know, kind of like discuss. Um, but yeah, that, that's really interesting. I haven't thought about it in that context. And uh, I wonder if that would help because I try not to do, you know, forced apologies and I try not to, you know, make that like the get out of jail free though card. Like you can smack someone and just apologize and it's okay. You know, I try to really encourage like the checking in and do they need an ice pack or like what do they need to help them feel better? And um, But doing it in a less emotional moment makes much more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because they might start using some of those tools that you are doing, you are demonstrating, but that we need the active teaching and space for. So I'm excited to hear what happens with that. Yes. So at the end, my favorite question to ask a parent, and there is so much that we covered that I also think it's important that it's not like, now I got to go do all of this, but picking just one thing that you're going to say, I'm going to make sure to practice this. This is my one big takeaway. So what is your golden nugget from this conversation? My golden nugget, for sure, without a doubt, is clear, concise communication. And Again, I usually think of that in terms of like being clear of my expectations or the boundaries or, you know, how we're going to behave when we go to a restaurant or, but it can be for really everything and being clear about interactions and what you would like to see or what you expect. And then also kind of your own thoughts, just really being clear and explicit, I think will really fix so many small things and you know, it can also be applied to every relationship in your life. So that kind of, it's such a universal need. Yes. It is amazing to me how many of the quote unquote parenting tools that I share that people then end up using in every relationship, in every space, because the way we engage with anyone is, is the patterns that we have as far as connection. And so it really is the way we engage with our kids is the way we engage with our partners, the way we engage at work. There's the same flavor everywhere. So the tools work everywhere. So I love that highlight. Um, and may that do wonderful things in all of your relationships. Joanna, thank you so much for sharing so openly and honestly, and all of the twists and turns this conversation took. There were so many really great takeaways. I'm excited to write out my must make moves for this episode because there were so many in them. It has been so much fun chatting with you and I'm excited to hear how everything turns out with your kids as everything keeps evolving. Thank you so much, Dr. Marcy. It was so fun to chat with you. And as you said, I mean, I feel like we could go on forever. So maybe there'll be a part two as things evolve. <laughs> Always possible. All right. Have a great day. And thank you for listening. I know your time is precious and limited. I'm grateful that you shared it with us today. What's your one takeaway? Just one small step can make a big difference. Make sure you know when new episodes come out by subscribing here and joining my mailing list at drmarcy.com backslash podcast. Do you want to be a guest on a future episode of Love Your Family again and again and again and again? then go to drmarcy.com backslash podcast guest and let me know. Finally, do you need individualized help for your family? Then go to drmarcy.com backslash contact and connect with my team to learn how we can help you.
Remember, blue skies are ahead and we're going to get there together.